The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. This is episode number 386. In just a little bit, I will be talking to Lynn, Linda, and Chris, and we will be concluding our discussion on insecurities of life and ministry. After that, I'll be talking to Auburn Witted. Uh, she will be joining me to discuss uh, something called scrupulosity. Um, it's an aspect of OCD, and uh, she shares her struggle with that. It's a very uh, encouraging conversation, at least encouraging for me, uh, just that Auburn is so willing to share the struggle in the hopes that it can benefit others. Uh, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Um, before we get into those uh, conversations, I do want to remind everyone about RYM's track series of booklets. Uh, we have 15 current track booklets. Uh, three more will be releasing in January, so very soon we'll have three more titles. Uh, but uh, let me just encourage everyone to, to check these out on Amazon. Um, we, we've uh, produce these in partnership with Christian Focus Publications. And so if you want to order them in bulk, you can go to their website as well. But let me just say, as the Christmas season's approaching, these could be some good stocking stuffers. Um, I know students might not be too excited about getting a booklet in their stocking, um, but still, uh, we want to encourage our students to read. So these could be really uh, easy, uh, accessible, unintimidating ways to, to get them uh, to read. Uh, I also want to remind everyone about uh, some other resources that we produce Bible studies that are totally free on our website. If you want to go to our resource tab at rym.org and, and check those out, we have eight currently. And I also want to say that we have two more that are releasing very soon. We had hoped to have them ready by this month, but hopefully they will be out next month, but definitely by the new year. Uh, one of those is Grace 101. Uh, that's written by John Ravel. And the other is uh, Fruit of the Spirit, written by Tree Triello, who serves as a co-host of this podcast. Uh, so I want to encourage everyone to, to check those out. I mean, if you are a youth worker trying to think about what you're going to do uh, in the new year, I mean, these are these are great. These are done. You can use them and adapt them to your context, we hope, in, in different ways. Um, I also want to remind everyone, if you tuned in last week, you heard from RYM's executive director very briefly. Brent encouraged everyone uh, to partner with RYM as the end of the year is uh, coming to a close. Uh, we'd, we'd love to encourage our listeners. Uh, as we said, we, we don't do this a whole lot, um, but we would love uh, for, for you to come alongside us and partner with us in ministry. You can go to rym.org slash donate um, or look at the show notes of this podcast. I'll put that link in there. Um, whatever amount we, we would appreciate. Uh, the, this podcast uh, costs RYM to, to continue to run our Bible studies, even though they're free. They they um, cost us. And so we would love for you to, to help share in some of those costs to, to get um, these resources out to the broader kingdom. So if you feel moved to do that, we would greatly appreciate that. 
um, as we keep talking about the, the end of uh, the year approaching, um, I also want to talk about the end of this this podcast for this year. Uh, most likely, this is going to be our last podcast for the year. Uh, this has been uh, airing weekly uh, since January sometime. It might have mid mid-January of this year. And so we've been posting without a break. And so um, we're thinking the month of December, take a break, maybe a little bit in January as well. Um, we'll try to keep you posted on that. We may have another episode next week, just kind of giving a preview of what's to come in the new year. Uh, but it's been fun uh, being able to get this out uh, to our listeners every week. Uh, we sincerely pray that this is a blessing to those youth workers who listen to this, uh, especially those who who don't have much community to wherever you are serving, that we hope that this gives you kind of a small taste and sense of of community for what you're doing and support for what you're doing. Uh, We also uh, are encouraged to know that parents check this out. And so parents, we we hope and we pray that this is a blessing to you and your your parenting, whether that's hearing from youth workers and kind of giving you behind the scenes of their life, or if it's a seminary professor or a counselor or an author who's been on this podcast, um, we we hope and we pray that it's a, a blessing to you. Um, So please continue to be in prayer for the ministry of RYM. Um, Please be in prayer specifically for this podcast. We sincerely want it uh, to serve the local church and serve those who listen. And so continue to pray for wisdom to that end of how we can best do that through a resource like this podcast. Um, We hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, and we hope you have a Merry Christmas. Talk to you soon. I'm here once again with Chris and Lynn. Uh, Linda had to jump off to go to a meeting, um, but we are concluding our conversation on insecurities of life and ministry. Um, and we said last week we were going to talk a little bit more about students and maybe just kind of identifying some of the insecurities that our students are wrestling with and and how we can address that. Um, and, you know, in some ways I, I feel like students can get a bad rap um, because we talk about how they're just filled with insecurities and teenagers just insecure. And it's like, you know, we need to just own the fact that, Hey, adults struggle with that too. And, um, I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes I think we're just kind of afraid to, uh, yeah, uh, admit that. Um, so that being said, I mean, we've all been in student ministry for a while. Um, Chris, Lynn, whoever wants to, to jump in. I know just to remind our listeners, Lynn is in a coffee shop, so there might be some some noise in the, the background. But uh, Chris, why don't you start us off on what what, are, what do you think are some of the maybe primary insecurities you see in your students or maybe the common ones that you deal with uh, the most? Um, I mean, out in Tucson, we're surrounded by mountains. And so some of the some of the value points of our community, like, uh, like the, I guess you could say the idols of the community in typical communities 50 years ago, it was the church was the center of the family, the Christian family. Right. And nowadays it's kind of shifted to the school and to sports um, in most communities. Um, so the, the draw towards making those things more and more the center of your universe uh, of school and sports uh, comes with a whole lot of insecurities when you fail at school or you fail at sports. And um, uh, being out here in Tucson, I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of other things that that come along with that. 
that we're this big mixing pool of very diverse people and very diverse communities with very diverse histories. And so we can be very segmented in a lot of different ways, but, um, but I just don't think we're that different than anybody else. And when a kid comes in and says, I'm just, I'm look, I'm from Washington state and I'm moved here and I don't know anybody in my language sounds different. I don't speak Spanish and I don't have that, that Spanish twang to my English. And um, I hear that actually quite a lot. Mm. Like, I just don't sound like these kids and I just, there's no way I'm going to make friends here um, is a pretty common thing. And, and strange, like in Alabama, everybody speaks country, right? And it, it's like you have your dialect there that, you know, um, but but I didn't ever, I, I never experienced a lot of people saying, I don't speak country. Um, but here I experienced that with the, like the language. It's just a strange, strange thing, that, you know, still it's shocking to me, really. Your, your tone of your voice is freaking you out. <laughs> like it's just so bad. I, I just don't. Um, and it's something that's been hard for me to wrestle with actually when it, when it happens, cause it's just so out there um, and to walk with kids. But what would y'all say if a kid came up and said, I just don't sound like these kids. Hmm. Yeah, that's, um, I know for me. Oh, sorry, John. No, go, go, ahead. go for it, Lynn, please, please. Well, I, I know for me, it's, it's Chris, sometimes like the hardest thing for me is like, not what am I going to say, but like, do not move your face. Like, do not move your face, Lynn. Do, don't roll your eyes. Don't make like, a, oh my gosh, are you serious? Because for them, it is such a big deal, right? And for us as adults, and personally, I'm a little bit more mature. It's like, okay, this isn't really that big of a deal. But for them, it feels so big. And just acknowledging that is the like, I know this feels like it impacts your everyday in a major way. But I think you have a great voice, you know, like reaffirming who they are and what they are and kind of like minimizing that this isn't that big of a deal but I know it feels like it but I know my first thing is like don't roll your eyes <laughs> like, that's so hard yeah no and and yeah I mean there's two things one I think we need to come back to, to something you're just saying Lynn about and <clears throat> in, in how we deal with insecurities of students is watching our nonverbals <laughs> being cautious um so let, let's be sure to come back to that um but yeah, I mean, Chris, I mean, this, this student in this scenario, it's like, and I think this is true of, of most of us. It's like, we don't want to stand out to a certain degree. Uh, we don't want to feel like we're not part of the group. Um, but then at the same time, we do want to be noticed and we do want to stand out. And so there's that, that tension of that. And so, you know, with, with this specific student, you said you've had this kind of issue um, on more than one occasion that they just want to feel a part of something. They want to feel a part of the group and they feel like that, that is the telltale sign. Like they don't belong. They're an outsider. They're, they're not in the group. Um, so would you say that that's kind of accurate? Just a way to sum it up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You sound strange. (laughs) It ain't that strange to me, Mm -hmm. but it's not, you know, Tennessee draw or anything, but like, it's just a strange thing that happens. I mean, I, I usually move into a position of, Huh? Why do you think that is? Like, why is your? Why do you believe your voice matters so much to this culture? Why does it matter so much to to people? I mean, I'm from the South, so I can automatically plead like you know, <laughs> alienation from the rest of the nation, <laughs> right? And I grew up with that, and uh, I almost married my sister one time. So it, you know, you never live. <laughs> But um, I can relate to, you know, being in, in, to that degree, but to just having that discussion, that, I mean, that's usually where I go. It's like, 
why do you believe that like the tone of your voice and the slang of your voice matters so much? Um, why do you, why do you think that it's, that's such a big deal in that community you're trying to be a part of, you know, and that usually loosens them up that and a lot of kids don't ever think about that. It's just, we just experience the pain of the short end of the stick and we just experience, you know, the hardship of how carrying the burden of it. And we never really think about why being different is actually quite valuable. Um, I don't have a lot of kids that come back and, you know, it doesn't last for very long and eventually they make friends and the voice is just kind of a, a red herring for something else or whatever. I don't know. And, oh, yeah. but eventually they, you know, they come back and I'm like, Hey, how's your voice faring with all these you know, <laughs> boys? Like, what's that like? And it's like, man, it's not even a deal anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's cool, man. But it's still very interesting to me why that was a hurdle. <laughs> like very interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Something most, I tried doing. Like, I don't know. God, you. <laughs> I don't know. Um, something I tried doing a little while ago and found it pretty effective. And it was more like it started like a self-talk thing of like I need to do this for myself. Of just like thinking about this insecurity. What am I feeling insecure about? So my voice and thinking like well, like, does their voice, like, do I think about their voice beyond this conversation? Like, does it last with me, you know, and even seeing it now in my son of like, we got a haircut. And he's like, what if people laugh at me? And like, well, were you, would you laugh at a boy who got a haircut in your class? He's like, no. And I said, then what makes you think people are going to laugh at you? You know, just that sort of thing of like, Lynn, how much would you notice this if somebody else was dealing with the security? And then, okay, it's actually not that big of a thing. Again, like putting it in perspective while also recognizing, I know it feels like a big thing, but when you mm-hmm. think about it from the other side, no, of course, like you're probably not, your Latino friends are probably not focusing on your voice as much as you're focusing on, on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what do y'all think too? Um, just uh, technology and how this has affected insecurities. I mean, we're thinking smartphones, social media. I mean, goodness, we know some of this is kind of obvious, but how how has that impacted your students or just through the years of doing student ministry? How have you seen maybe insecurities ramp up or just manifest in a different way um, through technology? Would y'all say y'all have noticed some things? Lynn, you're, you're nodding yes. For sure. And I was actually just thinking about this um, this morning. I was listening to um, a sermon. Couldn't tell you from where, but it was on uh, the, the iPod or whatever. Um, and uh, I, the guy was saying something about self-awareness and how like self-awareness is only good if you have an accurate view of yourself, you know? <laughs> and so I feel like our students are very self-aware, but with their distorted views of themselves or distorted yeah. views of, uh, you know, what they should be or what they can be. Um, and, and technology has definitely only heightened that. Um, and I think also the all the options of what you can identify as has also mm. upped that false self-awareness as opposed to just struggling through some things. It's like, well, this is hard. So it must, I must be something different. Right. As opposed to like, no, like growing up is just awkward sometimes and you feel weird and you don't feel like you belong like in this group or in your body or you wish something were different. Um, but going through that, that tough growing through that tough process. Um, I definitely think technology is, I mean, we know technology has definitely heightened our student self-awareness, but it hasn't changed like how accurately they view themselves Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah 
Chris, what, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, technology is one of those weird things. Um, you know, a lot of our kids, you know, if you're in sixth grade, you probably don't have a phone. If you're in seventh grade, you just got a phone. If you're in eighth grade, you're just starting to get apps, like a couple apps. And then if you're in high school, it's a coin toss. If you're homeschooled, you don't have a phone. If you're public school, you definitely have a phone. App. <laughs> Private Christian school, you definitely have a phone, but you may have a flip phone. Mm. If you're, you're doing, <laughs> and, uh, they took away your iPhone and gave you a Nokia, right? But um, and that's 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 probably pretty true in a lot of youth groups, right? Like, so you know the the hurdle that we have is in in high school, who has a phone doesn't really matter that much. But that homeschool kid that is just kind of strange and says, I don't really want a phone. I have no need for one, <laughs> you know, as they've heard their dad say a million times, you have no need. And they're like, I have no need, you know, but for the middle school kids, you know, the, the wrestling match is not over what's on the apps or the content or anything like that. The wrestling matches, I don't have a phone. So the person who does have a phone all of a sudden becomes very, very popular and very, very valuable within that community and we did airsofting last week and i took a bunch of guys home and loaded them up in my five-seater car um and the one kid that had the smartphone was playing uh tiktoks and everyone wanted to be his friend mm-hmm. now if you just think about like the, the the effects of friendship culture values all that stuff and and you you isolate that moment and you put it under the microscope. What do you have? You have this kid who all of a sudden is not Mr. Johnny football, but all of a sudden everyone wants to be around him because of this device. Um, it's like the first guy that discovered fire, right? We, <laughs> yeah. And the majesty and how crazy it is. And, and that's more so what I see in like my middle school group than I do in my high school group that this person has like, you know, I have the power in my hands and, and everybody's just drawn to it like a moth to light in it, it, you know, and the stuff they're watching, you know, I hear a curse word in there and I don't drop the hammer, hammer big on like when a curse word flies out on a, Hey, Ephesians 429, Colossians 61, you know, like, I'm, <laughs> you know, let me hold, let me hold the word out of your mouth. But like, um, then they could say, well, it didn't come out of my mouth. It came out of my phone. Well, that which goes in, it enters the heart, comes out of the mouth, from out of the, you know, the heart, <laughs> mouth. But it's like, um, there's a cultural piece here that like that person that holds that phone holds the power and the attention of the group. That person has this power that they never had before if they just have a cell phone. So when they go home, it's these other kids are like, when can I have a cell phone? And it begins this battle. And then, you know, parents in these parent meetings are, Chris, when do you think we should have a cell phone? And I say, I'm not going to answer that question for you. Um, I think you should seek the help of the Holy Spirit in your community. I can't give you that answer. Um, But that's just the the cultural piece. Those kids that have cell phones are just very, very popular. Mm -hmm. And it's just very, very strange. I guess it's, it's like back in our day when the Atari came out for john you know and uh <laughs> computers weren't a thing and but then mm-hmm. that everybody wanted to be at their house right mm-hmm. and uh and that's just how it, how it 
culture hasn't changed that much. Mm-hmm. New mm-hmm. So there's different angles. Yeah. Well, um, look, I know we are needing to, to draw this to a close. Um, what about just some final thoughts on how we can come alongside our students, how we can help our students, how we, you know, not only identify some of their insecurities, but then just kind of the ways in which we can try to help them. Um, thoughts on, on any of that, Lynn or Chris, whoever wants to, Lynn. I think it's good for us to remember um, and for us to communicate to our students of when, especially in our our self-help culture, you know, of, um, well, I can do this by myself or I like, I can, yeah, like just self-help versus actually like relying on the Holy Spirit, um, that it's important for us to, when we're working with students of like, okay, how can we you know, work through this, like, what's a solution that we can come up with? What's something we can work on, like a strategy? It's good for us to remember and emphasize that prayer is a strategy. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, worship is a strategy. Therapy is a strategy, right? Like we, um, I think sometimes can just dismiss of like, okay, like, let's pray at the end of this meeting, as opposed to like, what if our strategy is to meet and ask that the Lord intervene and take away this insecurity or show you how to um, grow in this way or um, whatever it may be. But I know that, yeah, my students, um, as, as a young mind would, right? Like it doesn't, you don't have an old, like an immediate result always. And so it doesn't feel like it's a strategy. Whereas you can walk out of therapy and feeling one way. Prayer, sometimes you you go in feeling the same way you came out or you go, come out going in, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, and so just reminding our students that um, it's easy to find things that are temporary solutions. It's easy to put band-aids over deep wounds <laughs> that need stitches, right? <laughs> like, um, and so to, to tell them like, hey, th- the things that you're doing, these aren't strategies. These are band-aids on wounds that need stitches, but these mm-hmm. things are real strategies to equip them in that and include prayer and all that stuff. And I also just think it's worth mentioning, Chris, when you were talking about like the phone, I mean, I mean, we get those questions all the time, right? Like somebody else wants us to tell them, when should I get my student a phone? It's like, well, as soon as you're ready to have conversations about porn and addictions and things like that, you can, that's when I say you can get them a phone is when you're ready to have those conversations because it's it's going to happen. So true. Yeah. No, that's yeah, that's that's good, Lynn. And, and I think, too, just kind of along with that, I mean, one, I love that you're just emphasizing prayer. I mean, we need to be. Yeah driving that home to our students. But but then I think normalizing this as well. Yeah, you know, for us again, as we said, to to be reminded to have these conversations where we we realize we're not the only ones struggling with this, but especially with our students, because I do think just the lack of life experience, they do feel like they are the only ones and they're the only one that feels this way and everything for us to just be like, Hey, guess what? You're normal. That's what this means. And we struggle in the same ways and so many of your friends do. And so I just think that's a a vital message for them to hear, um, to, to kind of normalize it. Um, I know we just have a couple minutes, Chris, any thoughts as we, we close this out? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'd say to youth leaders need to be unafraid to share some of some qualifying that with an asterisk, yeah. right? Some of um, I know early on in youth ministry, I thought that it was a badge of honor if I could extract out kids' insecurities, like I could get them to confess their deepest sins and deepest insecurities. And so I had a God complex in that, like if I, if they're sharing this with me, I matter. Um, but the, 
the real goal is like we're we're trying to model uh, for them how to live a Christian life. We're trying to inform them uh, with the message of the gospel. We're trying to move them towards Christ. So if we model for them, hey guys, like I was really struggling with this and my wife said this and it just instantly, instantly made me insecure. Am I doing a good job? Am I doing this? And it made me question my existence in this way. And it was really hard going to Jesus with that and just saying, Lord, like, am I, am I messing up? Am I doing this? And to go to my, my lifeline partner and be like, bro, like I did this. I said this, like, you walk with me through it. And they just affirm me and said, you know, these, this is a normal thing or whatever. And kids, I just want to encourage you, like, do the same, like start this habit of when you experience insecurities, go into Christ with them, um, go into your friends, your Christian community with them. Insecurities are hard. Challenges are really hard. Um, but if you do this alone, it's just going to lead you to bad decisions and bad thoughts. And you're just have a true assessment. Um, so if we're not modeling that for them to a large degree and being transparent with them, then we can't expect them to catch the idea and the, the habit of doing it themselves. That's now, good. You, you need to have wisdom, right? You don't want to share like the big, the big bang of the sin of your life, you know, just for effect or whatever to say, Oh, Jesus can carry it. Even the worst of the worst. And let me show you why. You know? <laughs> give them a treasure map on how to find sinful activity and, you know, give themselves to it. But at the same time, like you do need to little ways here and there, talk about insecurities. You need to talk about your own. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. You're not going to be very approachable. Yeah. I mean, Jesus said regularly, I don't do anything apart from my dad. I'm dependent on him. <laughs> like I don't do anything. That's really that, good. That's a of dependence on something outside of himself that even the God of this universe has spoken into being said and modeled for us. And if youth leaders, if we can't do that too, I mean, you know, we've got serious problems and we need counseling. <laughs> we need a counselor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now look, um, this is, this has been good. This has been helpful. Uh, Chris, Lynn, appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, talking about this over the last uh, few weeks. Look forward to, to having some more discussions with y'all in the future. Auburn, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Yeah, good to good to see you. Good to um, connect with you again. We got to have a, a little conversation last week, but looking forward to talking with you more um, today. Um, since this is your first time on the podcast, why don't you just tell our listeners where you're from and what, where you grew up? Sure. Yeah. So I grew up um, and still currently live in Pennsylvania, um, about an hour outside of Philadelphia. All right. And um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about um, uh, OCD and, and scrupulosity. Um, there's uh, chances are very great I'm going to mess up scrupulosity at some point <laughs> in this conversation. I feel like it's kind of a tongue twister. Um, yeah, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I stumbled across um, Auburn's blog uh, through Tim Challey's website. Um, he featured one of your more recent articles on his a la carte, if people check that out, um, which before I forget, go ahead and tell us what, what is your, your blog? What's the name of your blog? It's graceaboundinginocd.com. 
Okay, graceaboundingandocd.com, and we might highlight that again. And to tell our listeners, too, I'll, I'll try to put that in the show notes of the podcast if people want to check that out. Um, so, Auburn, maybe a good place to start is just defining OCD um, as well as scrupulosity, and then we'll get into your story a little bit. Sure, sounds great. Yeah, so OCD, um, some of you may be familiar with it. Um, it's obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, so it's characterized by obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions are thoughts um, that are frequent, repetitive, um, time consuming, and also very distressing to sufferers. Obsessions cause anxiety. Um, and in order to relieve that anxiety, sufferers will engage in compulsions. Um, this, the compulsions help to calm the anxiety for a time, but they never ultimately help. Um, it's not long before the obsessions come back and then the cycle is repeated. So there's this repetition of obsessive thoughts, um, anxiety, compulsive behavior, and then so on. Um, so scrupulosity, it's also known as religious OCD. So it's a form of OCD where the theme is about spiritual or moral issues. Different people struggle with different themes. Um, for me, the central fear is that maybe I'm not a Christian. Other common fears can include fear of sinning just in general or being morally wrong or bad, a fear of judgment or hell, um, a fear of blasphemy or apostasy, the unforgivable sin. Um, so those are just some some common themes that strugglers have. Um, there's also, you know, particularly in my own life, just this, these self-condemnation, um, sorry, these self-condemnatory thoughts that are just constantly playing in my head, um, saying things like, you're not really saved, um, or your motives when you did or said this are purely selfish and sinful. It, can seem sometimes like everything that I do or think or say is a sin. Um, this is very characteristic of scrupulosity. Um, just, you know, some people have um, said that scrupulosity is fearing sin where there is no sin. Um, scrupulosity tends to, um, or scrupulosity sufferers tend to have an overly tender conscience. Um, like a malfunctioning conscience in a sense. Hmm. Um, and some people have labeled scrupulosity as the doubting disease. So just doubting, yeah, doubting a lot of things about your faith and um, your walk with the Lord. Well, thanks for that. And I know that's, um, that's helpful just kind of clarify that up front. And, and let me just, I'm, I'm probably going to repeat this, but I just appreciate your courage um, to not only write on this at your blog and to be vulnerable to share the struggle, but to also just come on this podcast and to, to, to share your struggle with us. Um, and, and so why, why don't we just begin there as um, your story of how, how did you first become aware of this and um, just some of the origins in, in your own life? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I started struggling with this, um, I think around the age of 12 years old. And I did not know what was going on. Um, I had a lot of doubts about the Lord, um, about Jesus, whether he was 
really the son of God, um, but particularly the biggest doubt was assurance of salvation. Um, I just, I just had this intense anxiety that maybe I was not saved. And I had heard of plenty of other people who had this, the same fear. Um, and I think it's something that most, if not all Christians go through at some point. Um, but there was just something about my struggle that did not feel like it matched others. Um, just an intensity and a long, um, just a long period of struggling with it. And so I often thought like, what is wrong with me? Am I just, is this just a lack of faith? I just can't fully trust in the Lord and in his grace. Um, and I grew up in a very strong Christian household. Uh, my parents love Jesus. They have a really strong understanding of grace. Um, and so, yeah, I think especially with that background, I was just wondering like, why, why can I not seem to believe this? Um, or why do I keep struggling with anxiety? And so that, of course, just heaped even more guilt on me, and it just kind of fed into the the cycle. Um, when I was in first year of college, I discovered um, a conference talk from a CCF. So CCEF is the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Um, and I discovered a conference talk that one of their faculty, Mike Emlett, had given um, on religious OCD. And I listened to that and I just felt like, wow, this is, this is my experience. I felt like somebody was finally explaining what I was going through. Um, and that was, that was a turning point for me, just being able to label my struggle as scrupulosity or religious OCD. Um, it was really helpful. And I was able to see a counselor soon after that. Um, and yeah, just work through like, what does it mean? Um, what does scrupulosity look like? And how can I identify it in my life? And then how can I learn different tools to, um, to combat it? I think for a while, I wanted to get rid of it completely. I just wanted to get rid of the anxiety and the uncertainty that I always felt. And I've just been learning that it is less about getting rid of that, getting rid of the struggle and the suffering. Um, and it's more about how can I be faithful and seek the Lord in the midst of it? Um, it's still, it's still my prayer that the Lord would continue to provide healing, but, um, yeah, I think first and foremost, it's about, yeah, how can I seek to lean and depend on the Lord even when I'm not sure if I'm a Christian, even when those doubts persist. Hmm. Well, well, thank you for, for sharing that. And, um, you know, as you said, and as, as you're saying this too, I'm thinking, okay, there are so many out there that I know that um, have doubts about their salvation and that struggle with, with assurance. And you said you, you seemed that your it seemed like yours was, was more intense uh, than others. Maybe talk to us a little bit about that as you maybe opened up to a friend and, and shared, hey, I'm kind of struggling with this or maybe a youth worker or parent or, or whatever. When did you start to realize, okay, my struggle is, is a little different than what other people are saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. I, I noticed a lot that people 
would try to encourage me as though my doubt was an intellectual doubt. Um, but with scrupulosity, the struggle is not because of a lack of information. Um, I, like I said, I did grow up in a strong Christian household and, um, yeah, I, I knew a lot of like the right answers. And so, you know, the, the intensity of the anxiety kind of overpowers any intellectual argument. Um, so yeah, even just having people encourage me as though my doubt was intellectual. Um, it didn't really, it felt like it never stuck. Mm -hmm. And so that in itself made me doubt, like, why, why can't I just take their encouragement and let that be the end of it? Why do I continue to go in these cycles in my head? Yeah. Another thing was that I, I struggled and I continue to struggle with the typical disciplines and practices that many Christians partake of. Um, such as reading scripture, praying, going to church, partaking in the Lord's Supper. Um, those are all things that many Christians seem to find hope and comfort in. And yet for me, they do the very opposite. And that's what, you know, it's when I read scripture that I start to obsess even more. It like fuels my obsessions. Um, and going to church and you know, whether that's during the times of confession where I'm wondering, have I really confessed enough? Or during the times of worship, singing, I think I'm a hypocrite because I'm singing these words, but I don't know if I believe them. Or taking the Lord's Supper and thinking, am I eating and drinking condemnation on myself if I'm not a Christian? Um, yeah, and so just seeing those areas where other Christians were finding hope and comfort in them. Um, and they were doing the opposite for me. It was very discouraging. Um, and along with that, you know, a lot of people would share Bible verses um, in an attempt to encourage me. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, I've come to understand that actually sharing Bible verses might not be the most helpful thing for scrupulosity sufferers. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that our encouragement and comfort can't still be soaked in biblical truth, but I think it's just important to realize that for many sufferers, scripture can feel like a double-edged sword. Um, there are verses of comfort and hope, and then there are verses that are really scary um, and troubling and that can just stoke the obsessions and doubts. Yeah, thank you again for sharing that. I remember when we we spoke um, before, you had kind of shared some of how um, scripture can actually just heap more guilt upon you. And and so, I am curious. I mean, can you give us just an, an example of you know as you've gone to the scriptures and you've tried to read, and then there's just kind of this inner dialogue, inner battle. Maybe just kind of give us a picture into that a little bit more to to try to grasp grasp some of the the depth of the the struggle there. Yeah, absolutely. So the Gospels are, um, they have historically been the hardest for me. Um, and so there are some verses in there that are very encouraging. When, the, when Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Um, his invitations of grace 
and mercy. And then there are other passages like where he talks about the unforgivable sin. Um, and that that passage especially has been a hard one for me. Um, just obsessing like what is what does this mean? Um, am I in danger of committing it? Um, and so, you know, verses like that that specifically speak about hell or judgment or unforgivable sin or apostasy. Um, yeah, it can be very anxiety inducing. Um, I think otherwise, another common theme I've noticed is that as I'm reading the more um, encouraging verses in scripture, the ones that talk about, you know, the Lord's love never failing and his love for his people and his faithfulness, thoughts that often come to me are ones like, well, he's talking about Christians here. And if I'm not a Christian, then that means that this doesn't apply to me. Mm. Um, and so that's, you know, it's another way. It's like, it's not the discouraging passages per se. It's the more encouraging ones, but they still like, it fuels that doubt. Um, yeah, and I think otherwise I just, you know, as I'm reading scripture, I can even think, how am I being affected by scripture? <laughs> like this, this over analysis on myself and my attitude. And I think, am I being receptive to this? Do I believe it? And if I don't believe it, what does that mean about me? Um, so just like these constant, like self-condemning thoughts. Yeah. And, and I know, um, some of these thoughts you've, I think said, you might've said this earlier, but I know you've talked about just intrusive thoughts. Um, can you maybe talk about that a little bit? I mean, I know you said just so much of the difficulty of this is it's this internal battle that there's kind of this double life, you know, that you're kind of doing all these things on one hand, but then internally you kind of have all of these inner thoughts and, and things going on. So maybe talk to us a little bit about intrusive thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. So something, you know, about intrusive thoughts is that they, they are not true temptations. Um, you know, I may have an intrusive thought about, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, but to realize that that's not a true temptation, it is an intrusive thought. Um, intrusive thoughts are not true desires of the heart. Um, so that, that's been helpful to realize that. Another thing, and I know that we were talking about this in our first conversation, um, but I remember talking to my counselor early on about just feeling like I was living with this two track mind. Um, so on the one hand, I was able to do things like homework and work and, um, and I was going to church and I was involved in the life of my friends and family. But at the same time, there was this constant rumination going on in my mind. Um, and it almost feels like if I can just think through this enough, if I can figure out my doubts and my intrusive thoughts, then maybe I can come to some sort of peace. But that never works because rumination just like, it just continues the cycle. Hmm. Um, choosing to engage with the intrusive thoughts and obsessions just keeps the cycle going. Um, even though it feels like it's productive and it's doing something. 
And, and tell us too, um, going back to your story a little bit, you said you stumbled upon a talk uh, through CCEF. Um, how, how did that happen? How did you come across uh, that talk? And maybe just tell us a little bit about that talk that was helpful. Sure. Yeah, so I, it's interesting because I stumbled upon that talk in a moment of like acting out a compulsion. So a compulsion that's pretty common for people is researching. So, you know, just in my attempt to like try to figure out, am I really saved um, or have I committed the unforgivable sin? I would often research, even though I had talked to family members and a pastor, um, numerous people about the unforgivable sin. And they had assured me like that, you know, you didn't commit that. Here's what it actually means. You're not in danger of it. And yet I still felt like, well, maybe. Because um, with OCD in general, there's always that doubt. We can be 99% sure of something. And yet that 1% of doubt causes so much anxiety. Um, and that's what our minds latch onto. Um, so anyway, I was just Googling the unforgivable sin. Um, and I was familiar, familiar with CCEF at the time and I trusted the resources that they were putting out. And so I thought I will, yeah, search their website specifically, um, just to see what they have to say about this. And one of the results that came up was this talk that Mike Emlett had given. And in the description of it, there were all of these questions that I had had, the exact thoughts I had. Am I saved? Have I committed the unforgivable sin? Why do I feel like I'm always sinning? Those types of questions, which intrigued me. So then I purchased the talk and listened to it. Um, and I just felt like it really explained my experience. Um, yeah, just this constant feeling of being in spiritual danger, um, or this constant feeling of maybe I am not saved, um, and everything I do seems to be a sin. Um, so I think, yeah, number one, like just recognizing that it, my struggle had a name it wasn't just a lack of faith or lack of trust, but it's actually a way that my mind processes things. Um, and so to be able to see my struggle primarily as a suffering and not a sin, um, and that doesn't mean that I don't sin in my scrupulosity, but just to see that scrupulosity is a suffering. Um, that was very helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I know um, earlier you were saying how, you know, the, the means of grace can, can be unhelpful at times. Um, and I'm, I'm just, you know, wondering as you, you know, you're um, in a community, you're with friends, and I'm assuming at times people have tried to help um, in your struggle, uh, but maybe share some of the unhelpful comments uh, that that people might have said trying to help um, but then also we can talk about some helpful comments as well but but what have been some of those kind of unhelpful comments that, that people have have said or even unhelpful advice at times sure yeah I think 
Um, at times people would say things like, you just need to trust that Jesus is the one who saves you and it's not anything you can do. Um, which is absolutely true that Jesus is the one who saves me. Um, and I have nothing to do with earning my salvation, but I think to realize that scrupulosity is not, um, it's not a willful distrust. It's a weakness. It's a faint heartedness. Jesus always responded to faint heartedness with compassion and assurances of his presence and care. Um, he didn't say things like, just trust me. Why are you doubting? You know, he, um, yeah, he always assured his people of his care for them. Um, every time that he said, fear not in scripture, it was always followed by, here's a reason why you don't have to fear. Um, I remember sharing this struggle with friends, um, just my fear of not being saved and the lack of assurance that I felt. And I remember hearing from some friends that, or just from other people in my youth group and church, they would say things like, I went through an intense period of doubting this. Um, you know, one person in particular said that they went through a season of two weeks where they really doubted their salvation. But at the end of it, they came out of it with such a stronger faith. And so they shared that, you know, totally meaning to comfort and encourage me. But at that point, having struggled with this for five years, it did feel pretty discouraging because um, it felt like what is wrong with me that I don't have enough faith to overcome this. Hmm. Um, and even just the length of my struggle was, yeah, something that made me condemn myself and doubt why do I not seem to have as much faith as these other people. Mm -hmm. Well, what would have been kind of the other end of the spectrum? What would have been um, words that have been helpful, um, practices that, that have been helpful? Um, yeah, just share some of those for us. Yeah. Um, reframing the struggle as primarily a suffering instead of totally sin and a lack of faith has been really helpful for myself and for the way that other people approach me and encourage me. One thing that's also been helpful is realizing that the goal is not to try to get rid of the obsessions and compulsions. Um, that's something I pray for and I would love for that healing to happen, but to have people encourage me, um, just like asking, what would it look like to walk faithfully with Jesus through this? What does it look like to live well in the midst of anxiety and obsessions and uncertainty? What does it look like to lean on Jesus, even when I struggle with a lack of assurance of salvation? And that is not something that's easy to do at all. Um, it's not easy to live in the midst of uncertainty, but it's better than 
continuing the cycle of obsessions and compulsions and rumination that just never ends and that always causes anxiety and panic attacks. Mm -hmm. And uh, Auburn, as you're, you're sharing this, you know, I'm thinking, okay, there, there's a lot of anxiety associated with this, a lot of fear. Um, but then at the same time, you were moved to write a blog and to, to share this more publicly um, with others, which again, is just an amazing work of God's grace there. Um, remind, remind me the name of the blog again, but then I'm also curious the response since you've started speaking more publicly about this and getting blogs out there. Have you heard from others? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the name of it is grace abounding in OCD.com. And I started the blog last summer and for a while I didn't really hear feedback. I was just trying to figure out what I was writing. Um, I, I've always loved writing. That's what my undergrad degree is in. And I wanted to look for a way to use that. And I also felt, and I feel such a passion for sharing about scrupulosity, especially as someone who went seven or eight years struggling with it and not knowing what it was. I just have a passion about sharing it so that other people may become aware of it. Both people who struggle and don't know what it is and people who are trying to come alongside them and help them. So my desire has been to, yeah, share hope and hopefully just be helpful for people. At the same time, it's also been a challenge just putting this struggle out there like that. Um, it is vulnerable, but I know that, yeah, I'm not the only one who struggles with this and surely there must be other people. Mm -hmm. So in, in the last year, I've gotten more responses from people. There've been a couple of people that I know in my life who have related with it. Um, they've related to it and have been encouraged by it. And I've gotten responses from probably two dozen people that I don't know that have reached out and just said, thank you for putting words to what I'm struggling with. Hmm. And some other people have said that they, they know that they struggle with scrupulosity, but just hearing somebody else talk about it has been very encouraging. Um, and that's, that's just encouraged me to keep going when I have doubts of, am I being too vulnerable? Is this helping anybody? Is this worth it? And I think realizing even, even if it helps one other struggler, then it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome to hear. Um, and you just think of those individuals that, you know, stumbled across your blog and have been comforted by the fact of that, you know, they're not the only one in the struggle. Um, that's, that's awesome to hear. Um, Auburn, I, I know we're about to draw this to a close, you know, youth workers tune into this podcast, parents tune into this podcast. And I'm just wondering if you have any advice for them. Um, you know, as I know doubting is, is very common among, you know, all believers, but, but I do think, you know, my time in youth ministry, if I had 
a question I would say that I got more than any other. It's like, how do I know I'm really a Christian? I know I got that frequently um, from students. And so maybe just some advice, again, for youth workers, for, for parents, um, if they may assume or um, may think that their child or, or student has this or is struggling with this, maybe just speak to that a second. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the first thing I would say is to educate yourself on scrupulosity. Just learn more about it. Learn more about what is helpful and what is unhelpful for strugglers. And I do recommend Mike Emlett's resources. Um, he has, I believe, two talks and one article that he's done on scrupulosity. Um, yeah, so I think learning about it is just kind of that first step. Another thing I would say is to make space for doubt. Whether you think that you or someone in your life is struggling with scrupulosity or not, I think as a church, we just need to do a better job of creating space for people who wrestle with doubt, whether or not scrupulosity. Um, realizing that doubt is not necessarily a sign of a lack of faith. Um, it's actually a part of faith in a sense. Um, there's just a lot of mystery about the Lord. Um, and it's normal to have doubts and just normalizing that. And the fact that with all faith, there is some, some sort of doubt that we all carry. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Was I about to cut you off? Uh, no worries. Um, I was going to say just another a helpful um, piece of advice or just something that I found helpful in my own life is depending on community. Um, I, I've learned that I need to trust and lean on their testimony, whether that's about me and who I am, because they can often see me in a much clearer light than I can see myself. When I'm constantly condemning myself, they have, they don't have a perfect view of me, but they have um, a good one, one that I can trust. And also their testimony of who the Lord is. I think a big part of the struggle is tending to view the Lord as stingy or removed or unloving. Even though intellectually we may say, no, he's, he's gracious and compassionate and full of mercy. I think practically speaking, we can tend to just view the Lord in these, these wrong ways. Um, so trusting the testimony of other people when they say, no, this is who the Lord is. Um, and then also just trusting them when they say that thought that you're having right now that you've been thinking about all day, that's scrupulosity. Hmm. Um, and so trusting them when they, yeah, when they point that out and um, to be able to identify a thought as scrupulosity really devalues the thought. Um, and so just, yeah, community is just a huge part of of this walk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And again, thank you for, for sharing your story and uh, being vulnerable to share your struggle uh, so openly. Um, as you were saying, you know, one of the helps to this is to educate yourself on it. And um, again, thanking you for that because there's not a lot out there. Um, and so, uh, yes, pointing people to CCEF and, and Mike Emlett and his work, but also your blog, um, not only to 
read and to hear uh, other sto- other lectures about this, but to actually hear someone's story who's in the middle of this struggle um, is so helpful. And I know on your blog you have a list of resources as well, and so pointing people to that um, could be a help. Um, Auburn, look, just thank you so much again for, for taking the time to come on today and to, and to share this. And it's our, our prayer that the Lord would use us to, to bless others as well. Absolutely. Thank you, John.